Oh, show me your longsword, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you like how sharp the point is, don't you? I sure do. Mm-hmm. Are you going to roll? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to roll a D20 for perception. Yes. Yeah, yes, I love yes. that D. Oh. Mm -hmm. You know you love that D. <laughs> oh, man. We are lit tonight. This is going to be we're good. So stupid. We're so stupid. Oh, we're live. We're live. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do this. Let's do it. I love it. Right. Absolutely. What Hello, up? everyone. <laughs> it's a sprinkles. Princess Sprinkles is here for a very special occasion. She's kind of disappearing into the background. Come here, Princess Sprinkles. We're here. Welcome to Pop My Culture. Although today we're going to have our, definitely going to have our culture popped because you and I are still... Definitely you, for sure. Definitely a beginner of the D and D. Man, you don't even know what I know about that D and oh, D. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm excited about this. I'm really excited about this. I cannot wait. We have a really, really wonderful guest, and not only is he a guest, he is also a member of Red Five. He is a member of the Red Five Tavern. He is a dungeon master in the Red Five Tavern, and he is here to talk to us about Dungeons and Dragons and the pop culture phenomenon that it is. And it is definitely had a comeback. So, Josh, are you paying attention? No. Wow. I mean, yes. Fucking rude, man. <laughs> I was Fucking <laughs> rude. <laughs> I do what I do. Thanks. Before I actually do bring Aaron in, just a really quick reminder that we are now on Apple Podcasts, so we will be dropping the audio of every single one of our live streams. So unfortunately, there are going to be some things that are visual that you won't be able to see on the podcast, obviously, because it's all about your ear holes. So come over to our YouTube channel and check out the live stream if you want to get some of the visuals. If so you now, want to fill all the holes. All the holes. Yes. All the holes. That's always our goal. Mm -hmm. Always Your our goal. Holes, holes, eye holes, mouth holes, butt holes. Every hole, whatever mm -hmm. hole can take it. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. true. Yep. We're here to give it. Poor Aaron. I know. <laughs> Let's bring him in. Hey, hey, Aaron. I saw you laughing back there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking you invited me onto the show, and you're you're like, "Come on, we're going to talk about D and D. It's a comeback story." And I'm like, "Come back. That sounds hot." So I knew I had to be here. I don't think it was come on the back. I mean, I was, Whoa. <laughs> oh, 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 
Okay, oh, I, I thought this was something else entirely. I might I have know. to leave. Oh, I, whatever. Wrong show, honey. That's <laughs> we, later. We do what we do. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. That's okay. Later. <laughs> well, really quick before we get into it, um, let's give a quick shout out to the chat. But before the chat, let's give a quick shout out and a thank you to our patrons over at Patreon for supporting us. Um, that's Kim and Scott of Used and Abused. We've got Steve Long of Rebel Rock Radio. We have our lovely cruise director, Lunar Girl. Uh, she is our Red 5 secretary. We have Thousandth Ghost. Thanks, Ghosty. Kristen Roscom. Uh, Duffman Dioramas. The Salacious Rum. Chip Gettler, a.k.a. White Shadow. Captain Spaulding. And our newest patron, Hannah Long. Would you like to say who Hannah is, Josh? Uh, she may or may not be related to me. It's fine. We'll keep it there. <laughs> well, thank you, Hannah. She's really obligated really by blood to... to wow, to that's that. fucked so, up. Yeah. I can't wait for her to hear this on the podcast when she listens to it later. She's going to kick your She's ass. She's my lovely sister. She knows where you live. Thank you, Hannah. Love you. <laughs> thank you, Hannah. We really appreciate it. I'll get some swag over to you so you can be a Patreon too. Just look for Pop My Culture. And if you subscribe for as little as a dollar, you get stickers. You get thank you. You get a shout out on the stream. Depending on what tier you get, you could probably get a keychain, magnet, all sorts of stuff. So check us out. But let's get to our chat room. We have Logical Spock who was in here earlier. Um, also, it's his birthday today, so I'm assuming happy that's birthday. why he's actually not here. Hey, happy birthday. So, happy yes. birthday, Logical. Thanks for stopping by earlier. We got Duffman, like I said, who's yeah. one of our patrons. We got Robot over here. I mean, Rolando. I'm sorry, not it's Robot. Rolobot. <laughs> it's Rolobot. I don't know how he's everywhere. He's one of our mods. Absolutely love you. Here's our other lovely mod and cruise director and patron, Lunar Girl. The boss. Of the sidebar cantina. And also Kalisha of Red 5 Tavern, who unfortunately passed away last night <laughs> on the game. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> we lost poor Kalisha. We got this motherfucker named Sith that Care. Don't know who he is. Who's that asshole? Exactly. Thank you, Aaron. Stupid. Friends on here. <laughs> we got Ubaldo, who's been hey, in Ubaldo. <laughs> I said Supporto. Saporno, what? <laughs> AM Dubs. Hey guys, hi. Oh, what guys, that? I love our crown. We got Blue Sasquatch. He knows what's up. Squatch that watch. D. That D, yeah. exactly. That D. In D. This is going to be the theme tonight. Here's Tina. Josh knows his way around the D. I'm familiar with the D. <laughs> like, like we say every week, Josh likes dick. What you going to say? What you going to do? Tina is also another member of the Red Five Tavern Indeed. who plays on Fridays. So we got Nicole in the house. Nicole. Nicole. And let's see who else. I think so, I got everybody. All right. I got everybody. Thank you, you so everybody. much, guys. Good this job. is so much fun. Aaron, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you're willing to yeah. come on this shit Just show. Through this. Yes, yes. We yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so, d, &D. Really appreciate it. Yes. Can you give us a little backstory, a little history? And yes, if you guys have noticed, my blue nail polish is fading into the background of the green screen. <laughs> but can you give us a little, a little, uh, give us, give us a little of D and D's little... nuts? Yeah. 
Listen, okay, if you need so... to kick out Josh at any point, just let me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The floor yeah. is yours, sir. Go but right no, ahead. I mean, this has right, been around down, since the 70s, so tell, yeah. tell us about it. There's some history. Yeah, yeah, um, Well, we were doing a little back and forth uh, before the show, because uh, I wanted to know, like, what are we talking about? Like, how should I, what should I prepare for this? Because yes. I'm not, I'm not like a historian or anything, but I'm just fascinated by the history of things and yeah. how things came to be as they are today. And D&D has a really, really fascinating history. Um, just giving you the cliff notes of it. It started in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin with uh, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax. Uh, they were both kind of uh, hobbyists within the, t- uh, the wargaming hobby, uh, which is basically you got like armies of dudes on each side. You, you think of it like Warhammer 40K, but mm-hmm. it's mostly like recreating the Napoleonic Wars. And uh, Gary Gygax, he got this idea to be like, well, what if you, instead of controlling like a whole army of dudes, you're just controlling like one dude. And if it's one dude, then that dude needs a name and a backstory and everything else. And uh, he started to put together these rules uh, that he eventually called Dungeons and Dragons. And basically he'd test these rules with his friends and uh his friends were huge like tolkien nerds and uh this kind of rubbed gary gygax the wrong way because he was more like michael moorcock and conan like that kind of fantasy nerd uh yeah so he he like um halflings as they're called today were originally hobbits in Mm. the game and he really like didn't want to put those in because he thought that was like silly kid stuff and he did not like tolkien fantasy at all but he eventually relented because, like, you know, he, peer pressure from your friends. It's the 70s. What are you going to do? So he's yeah. like, OK, fine, I'll do it. And um, he originally started Dungeons and Dragons as like a side supplement to this war game that he was putting together where you would control individual people. And the magic stuff was all like an expansion pack on the side. It was never meant to be the full game. But then that started to get popular with other wargaming hobbyists and so he decided to develop it into a full rule set and uh it kind of took off from there he got enough money that he was able to start this company called tsr um and that they kind of developed dungeons and dragons into what we know it today uh so starting in like 1974 through the 80s is we get uh the original kind of three brown booklets of mm-hmm. D that got revised into advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and then eventually we got like third edition and that was revised to 3.5. That's in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, but before we get to there, we have this whole like satanic panic. Um, yep. I wasn't alive for it. Uh, maybe some of our audience members were, but for those who don't know, um, there was this whole like, Everybody was freaking out about uh, yeah, Satanism, and uh, that itself is really fascinating. I'll only touch on it, but I have like an amateur interest in like religious extremism and cults and stuff like that. So this is on my radar. Um, fascinating. The Satanic Panic started with this preschool where uh, there were allegations of I don't know if I could say it on the show without YouTube or whatever uh, coming down on you, but. Um, adults doing very not nice things to kids and um, the stories coming out of it were really bizarre 
They were mm. stories of like uh, abduction into like secret tunnels underneath the school and like witches and demons and these like elaborate like cult rituals and sacrifices, just bizarre stuff. And none of it was ever true. There's no evidence that any of it was actually real. It was bad uh, interview techniques conducted by the uh, law enforcement community to uh, in dealing with these kids. It was basically like planting suggestions and memories into them just by the way that they asked questions. Um, and that kind of started off the whole moral panic around Satanism where people that covered the news and like mass media for uh, a couple of years because this was like a three year long trial. Um, and it kind of took over the public imagination as far as like moral panic. So people were like looking for Satanism everywhere and wherever they looked, they found it. It was rock music with uh, like back masked lyrics. Uh, and one of the kind of primary targets of this moral panic uh, was D and D because D and D as a fantasy game, it has magic in it. It has things that kind of sound evil because you need evil bad guys to fight. Right. And um, this became a huge target with the moral majority, which was kind of like coming into fruition at that time as a major voting block. Um, so particularly among like evangelical Christians, uh, it became seen as this like really um, like, I don't know what the right word is, but like antisocial kind of like um, aberrant behavior, deviant behavior right, is the right. word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, and because like D&D was just starting to like go from really niche nerd thing to more like widely accepted nerd thing. Yeah. Like uh, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't yet mainstream, but um, it was popular enough that like, you know, grandma Ruthie probably heard about it somewhere, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, so it, it basically became this target. And I, believe Gary Gygax had to like go to court and uh, kind of like give like a like a testimony about it oh and God. he's like it's complete nonsense because it was yeah. um, there, there, there's no like mind control nonsense going on with D&D it's people coming together around a table to uh, basically tell a story together and there's a structure of rules to kind of guide that Got play it. yeah um, right, right. That's really all it is. It just happens to be about fantasy, but it could be could be about anything. Right. And, right. But it's it's also really hard to communicate that to people because uh, tabletop gaming is such a weird hobby um, mm -hmm. and weird. by I mean, it's it's not really something that you can understand unless you've experienced it yourself. And it's really hard to communicate that to people um, when most of the most of the hobby's life cycle, D&D uh, in particular, the rule books are written in a way that they're not trying to teach you the game by reading the rules. It basically assumes that someone else that you know has played the game and they're going to show you how it's played. Interesting. And it's very much mouth to mouth how you learned this thing. Um, and uh, so all that to say during the satanic panic, there's a lot of uh, talk and buzz about like what D&D is about and a lot of fear going around about um, what it might mean and what's involved in it, but not a lot of actual like firsthand 
knowledge about what it is. Right. And then you also have to mix this in with nerd culture at the time, which people don't realize that like in the eighties, like if you were caught with a D and D rule book at school, like you would be physically beaten by people. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's cool yeah. to be a nerd now, but oh, back sure, then but it absolutely then. was not. No, no. And really not um, even that far back because I know no. I wasn't truly accepted yeah. in the nineties in school. It yeah. so was not cool really when I was growing up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really started to change like in the later two thousands, maybe earlier, but absolutely. Yeah. No, it's true. It's um, between so that, yeah, you go from the Osborne biting heads off bats and stuff. People were freaking yeah. out. Yeah. 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 Um, and there's a lot of reasons for them to be freaking out that I would, love to get into but that's not what we're talking about today nah, uh so nah. you go from the 70s you have this really niche uh kind of war gaming uh mm -hmm. spinoff that ends up being D D. um it goes through a couple of different iterations and starts to get really popular in into and through the 80s and then by the 90s it gets on some pretty precarious ground um tsr the company that gary gygax started to uh basically run D D, basically got like too big to wield and it started to take some like financial risks that it couldn't really afford afford to do so. Yeah. Um, uh, most famous of which is the publishing of Unearthed Arcana, which is basically a bunch of like DM advice, but also like um, alternate rules that you could use. And um, it was basically sold as this like hugely valuable thing, but it was printed like as cheaply as possible. Um, people's books were like falling apart within like weeks of getting them. Um, it was not good. It didn't sell well, but they were banking on it selling well in order to pay off their debt. And so TSR basically went under. Um, they ended up selling uh, to Wizards of the Coast, which is the current owner of the D&D brand. And in the early 2000s uh, is when they kind of finished off the 3.5 edition of the rules and they switched to fourth edition. Um, around this time is also when they developed something called the OGL, the Open Gaming License. Um, this is basically, so someone got the bright idea to say, hey, we have all these rules for D&D, &D, and then we have all this content that we made for it. Adventures, uh, source books, optional rules, stuff that you can plug into it. What if we just take the rules in like bare bones form and we treat it like open software, like Linux or something like that. And we say, hey, anyone can use this for free, you know, as long as they credit us and they use it in this way and blah, 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 a bunch of legalese. And they bought it. Wizards of the Coast, like, accepted it. And they put out uh, the basic version of the rules for free that anybody could use as long as they, like, abide by these certain rules. They could use those rules to develop their own content for D and D, uh, and they would be able to sell it, profit off of it, etc. And it was kind of treated as like an open platform, and that's really kind of the first key piece to take D and D from this weird niche thing mm -hmm. to this kind of more mainstream thing. Right. Because once you have the basic rules and people know that they can develop content for the system without getting sued, then uh, all of a sudden, all these small, like little publishers are able to produce this kind of niche content that you wouldn't be able to get just from Wizards of the Coast. And people can buy it and use it in their game, and it's all going to be compatible. Right. So that's probably what I would put as kind of like step one 
of D&D becoming mainstream, this kind of open gaming license. And jumping forward a bit, there's a whole fracas about the open gaming license, um, maybe like six, seven months ago, because uh, Wizards of the Coast was basically trying to get rid of it. And there's a huge community backlash, and uh, they finally like relented on that. And not only did they make the open gaming license for fifth edition permanent, they also put it under Creative Commons, which is actually like way more permissive than the open gaming license was. So it's like basically forever, like the fifth edition version of the rules anybody can use uh, in any way that they want, as long as they give credit back to Wizards of the Coast, which is huge. But that's an aside. Um, For someone who says he's then, not a historian, yeah, he, no historian <laughs> at all. Yeah, he really knows his stuff. But no, I'm glad you explained I, the edition I'm, thing because I'm noticed, really, I yeah, did yeah. notice like when when you first started when uh, with Red Five Tavern that you were asking about the editions and stuff, and there was conversations like going back and forth between you, Steve, and DJ, and I'm like, what in the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> so I'm yeah. really glad that you explained all this because I'm sure that there are people even in our chat that have never played before, just you know, just like I you know, just like me and Tina, how Tina just said. So it's been really mm -hmm. nice having, you know, you and Charles is such wonderful dungeons masters to, you know, teach us as we play. Like I you did that yesterday in yesterday's game. I noticed like you took a time out mm -hmm. from the gameplay for a second to kind of explain things. And even me, while I was editing clips for this show tonight, I was listening and I'm like, Hey, I learned something. I was being really honest. I was not being facetious in the chat when I said that. I, I I'm still learning. Like, I was like, oh, that's great. I feel like it's something that yeah. you constantly. Uh, yeah, know. I'm sure you're constantly. Yeah. Learning about it, yeah. yeah. Now, now, yeah, I did um, have a question like Wizards of the sure. Coast. They they fathered Magic the Gathering, right? So like. Correct. They own the, uh, the rights for that. Yeah. So how I've heard that there's supposed to be some sort of they're kind of connecting magic with D and D somehow. Like, is that a is that a real thing, or am I making that up? Um, there's been small ways that they've done that. Um, this is super nerd talk, so it, I'll, I'll keep it's, it short. But literally every time you guys cool. are playing, I jump on and yeah, go yeah. nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the characters that I'm playing in a campaign um is a a his his species is called kenra it is like a um like an egyptian anubis kind of dogman thing mm -hmm. and i got that from uh this uh resource called plane shift plane shift is um one of one thing that wizards of the coast has published that basically is content for D, &D that's using magic the gathering uh lore character lore, settings etc makes sense and there so there's a setting in magic the gathering called emonket which is like mm -hmm. magical fantasy egypt and they worked out a bunch of different species and classes that you can use for your character um and so i picked from there and got this like cool character so there's some kind of like cross-pollination between magic the gathering and D D. I haven't heard of anything that they're planning to do beyond that, but yes, Wizards of the, Wizards of the Coast is in charge of both of those brands. So nuts. So, um, you, you said You're earlier the different. Oh, you should be tuning your own horn much. right now, man. Um, what the hell? This 
you said something earlier about the different editions of the rules. Did you want me to yeah, go over that or? No, I just, I just like had no idea just how in depth it it got with with stuff like that in terms of the rules, you know. And as someone like me who's yeah. still considered a novice, you know, even a year later, um, you know, just like you say, you're still learning. I'm definitely still learning. So I just didn't, I just didn't yeah. know that aspect of it. I knew the more. Again, because we're pop culture nerds, I only know the pop culture aspect of D&D. So I did know about the, you know, the satanic worship and spoiler alert, it is a big, um, for, I know Kelly hasn't gotten to the latest season of Stranger Things, um, which mm. I kind of want to avoid talking about that, which is why I'm going to focus more on Big Bang Theory tonight, because... Yeah, I don't. I I know Kelly has got her own show with Don about Stranger Things, but it is a big deal. But it's an even bigger deal, and they go they do talk about the witch hunt that goes on in the very last yeah. season of Stranger Things. So I was definitely aware of of that aspect of it, but not the rest of it, you know. And it's definitely had a resurgence mm -hmm. because. I mean, yeah. I don't really remember it as a kid in the 90s. I definitely don't remember it being spoken about when I was in high school in the 2000s. But then Big Bang Theory kind of came along, and I feel like that's where I started to hear more and more about it. That's actually how it piqued my interest, was actually through watching okay. Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're yeah, going to so, see all the clips. You're going to love it. It's, it's, I, I think I remember the first time it was ever popularized in my eyes was when I saw them playing it in E.T. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, I mean, Kelly's favorite movie. Kelly's favorite movie, yes. <laughs> but I thought that was um, okay. great that it was such a big part of that. You know, they were all adamant about finishing yeah. the game, and, and it really kind of piqued my interest in the idea of playing. I, I yeah. clearly love so, it. <laughs> um, so I, I'm happy to explain the different editions. Um, I'll keep it brief because there's a ton to say about it. But mm -hmm. just backing up a little bit for those who are like still kind of like swimming about like what is D&D &D and everything. Um, there's tabletop RPGs or tabletop mm -hmm. gaming, which is kind of the hobby of what we're describing, right. uh, where you sit around a table usually, uh, unless you're playing online, sitting around a table, virtual or otherwise, with your friends, and you are telling a story in a consistent world, and there are usually rules and especially dice rolls to kind of determine um, how events play out within that kind of shared imaginary world. Right. Um, usually you have players who control the actions of individual characters, and then you have one player who... Um, is usually like the game master or dungeon master. Um, dungeon master is a trademarked term by Wizards of the Coast, so pretty much every other game system will call it a game master or something. Oh. Anyway. Um, no, it's good to so know. So you have one player who's kind of like sets the stage and plays all the other characters that the players interact with. And then, um, so that's tabletop gaming. And then D&D &D is a specific game in that genre with its own rules. And normally D&D is far and away the most popular tabletop game. And most people who get into tabletop gaming as a hobby start with D&D. So sense. that's why it's important to talk about the history of D&D and how it's gotten so popular today, because it is usually the first thing people touch when they get into tabletop gaming. 
Um, what's weird about D and D is that it is probably the most complex tabletop gaming tabletop game when it comes to the rules. Um, and it didn't always used to be this way. In the first edition of the rules, you have three little brown booklets. There may be like a hundred or one hundred and fifty pages total, um, which is really not that much. Uh, it, it's still very expensive back then, but um, the rules were relatively simple. You could make a new character in like five, ten minutes, something like that. Um, it's very bare bones, but this is kind of Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, like their very first like baby steps into making this an actual thing. Then you get um, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which is usually called that or second edition. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of like build out the rules a little bit more. They polish it up a bit more. This is when TSR is actually a company and they're trying to take themselves seriously. Um, and it's called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons because it's an advanced version of the first rules, not that it's like a harder version of the core rules, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, but what's a little confusing is that later they put out uh, basic Dungeons and Dragons, which was like a simplified rule set for like new players. Um, second edition, they expand everything and make it a bit more coherent. Um, they add some new uh, classes and species. Like I think second edition is when um, they changed hobbits to halflings because otherwise they would get sued by Tolkien. And there's actually a supplementary book for the first game uh, that had like different statistics for all the gods that you could fight. And a lot of them were like actually trademarked um, like gods. Like you could fight Godzilla, uh, you could fight Thor. Um, and so they, they, they basically like put that out because they thought nobody would notice, but people right, did notice. Right. And so they, they had to cut that book out. Um, but uh, yeah, this is when you get like the the rogue class first shows mm-hmm. up, um, although it was called a thief at that time. And uh, so a, a lot of the kind of basic building blocks of the game are starting to come together. Third edition um, is they they really wanted to expand the rules here, and it's probably the most like robust version of the rules for the for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, to give you an, an example. Let's say I want to uh, grapple somebody. So we're fighting and I just want to like put them in a headlock or otherwise just like restrict their movement by grabbing onto them. Mm-hmm. How does that play out? In fifth edition rules, um, I make a athletics or uh, yes, I make an athletics check to try to grab them. And the other person, they make an athletics or acrobatics check to see if they can get out of it. Mm-hmm. And whoever has the greater role wins. And they either escape the grapple or are grappled. And explaining that is like three paragraphs at most, like two paragraphs, something like that. For third edition, those rules are like almost a full page. It's like so intricate. It's it's very wordy. It's it's very robust. As you go from top to bottom and work your way down, like every step makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, that's how we do it. But when you're actually playing the game, nobody ends up grappling anybody else because it, it, it's it's just so much, it's so dense to work through that nobody ends up doing it. Um, that's what I mean by really robust. Like, it, it's very thorough in everything. 
and some people really like that, but it's also really restricting because it's like, oh, you want to do this? Well, let me look up and see if there's actually rules for it. Oh, yes, there is. Now let's go down like a whole page of stuff to figure out if it works or not. Um, right. And that was the approach at the time. If, if, if anyone here has watched Parks and Rec a thousand times like I have, I have a new appreciation for Ben Wyatt and inventing the cones of Dunshire. <laughs> just yeah. Definitely feels like it's very similar. And when they get later into this, you know, the series, he talks about, you know, that he made like another edition because it got, you know, patented and all that and put into production. And the second part of his cones of Dunshire game is called like, rated like one of the most difficult and most complex games like ever played so it, oh man it, it definitely uh, reminds me of D when he starts explaining the rules uh I'm, I'm with leslie i'm like what the fuck did ben wyatt just say <laughs> that that's my biggest issue with D is that i feel like it's completely open yeah and you can do kind of whatever you want but at the same time it's within yes. such complex parameters Correct. in the process right. that yeah it, it's it's just almost impossible to kind of get your mind around to a certain extent but it's awesome it's really I mean, a lot of fun i had some preconceived notions about it myself i mean even i unfortunately am guilty of being one of those people that was like D D, like that's the ultimate of the ultimate of nerddom you know what i mean and i just never felt like Maybe it was also it just my self-esteem. No, don't, but I think it was also my self-esteem. Don't take right? that away. Shut up. I also think it just felt like, oh my God, am I like too stupid to play D&D? But now actually yes. having played yes, fuck off. Now actually having played it, <laughs> I'm like, God, I made this to be so much more in my head. That's not to say it's still not an intricate game to play, but you really do have to kind of like free your mind when it comes to to D D. yes and uh at, at this point we're getting to the point where D D starts to become more popular and mainstream yeah. um early to mid 2000s i can't remember the exact year uh fourth edition of D D comes out um mm -hmm. that version basically saw how like robust and wordy third edition had come and they were like uh-uh we're gonna do something different and they really tried to simplify it down. Um, and fourth edition is, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's kind of similar to how like MMOs work, mm -hmm. where um, every player has different abilities they can do. And uh, one of the things they wanted to address was like wizards had started to become really, really powerful in the game, where at lower levels as a character, you're super weak. And you could, as a wizard, you could die in like two hits. Um, and it's a lot of hard work to kind of for everybody else to kind of protect you. But mm -hmm. once you get to a high enough level, you're like bending space and time and just doing all this crazy stuff that like nobody else can do. And that's the trade off. Well, um, that that means that <clears throat> especially at like higher levels of play, wizards and like a fighter are going to be very mismatched with what they can do. Um, imagine like Aragorn trying to keep up with Gandalf. Uh, it, it's, it's just not the same. So uh, what fourth edition tried to do was bring that back into balance where a high level fighter can feel like they're doing crazy stuff, like an anime character that wizards can do. 
Yeah. And the way that they did that is everybody gets different abilities that they use on their turn. And those abilities can look like different things, but um, ultimately they're matched with each other level for level. And it actually worked. Um, this was right when like uh, computers in the home were becoming more common. Uh, internet in the home especially was taking off. And the whole idea was that fourth edition would ship with this virtual tabletop that would allow people to play together over the internet. And right. through well, I've, I've still got tra- some three by five floppies of D and D games. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, through a series of tragic circumstances that I don't want to get into now, um, that ended up not going through. And so there wasn't that kind of last piece to really put it together. And so, um, there's a lot of people, myself included, who really like fourth edition, but a lot of people who it just felt weird. It felt like not like the D and D that they knew and loved. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got a lot of backlash. Um, and fast forward to 2014. That is when the fifth edition of, of the rules come out. And uh, fifth edition really wanted to simplify things even further. So they came up with this core mechanic for resolving anything that you might do where there's a certain number that you need to hit in order for it to be a success that number or higher and uh you roll usually a 20 sided die and you add whatever modifiers might be relevant to the situation and mm-hmm. as long as you hit that target number uh or above then it's then it's a success if you don't then it's a failure and that's kind of the core engine that drives the whole gameplay and everything else is kind of details on top of that. Um, they added advantage and disadvantage, which really simplified things because third edition, you would have a bunch of numerical modifiers that mm-hmm. you would add on to whatever you're trying to do. And it just became like an accounting spreadsheet to keep track of all the things that might apply. They were like, no, none of that. Um, either have advantage or disadvantage or you don't. If you have advantage, you roll two 20-sided die and pick the higher one. If you have disadvantage, you pick the lower one, and it's very streamlined, very easy, and the result is it's a lot easier for the game to get into, especially for new, for new players. Um, the downside is it puts a lot of work on the DM because instead of like third edition, there's robust rules for everything. Mm-hmm. Fifth edition says we're going to rely on rulings, not rules. We're going to give you enough rules so you can know how stuff mostly works. And if there's any edge cases, you'll be able to, you, the DM, will be able to make a best educated guess on how it works. And we'll just go with that. And it just flows. And actually, it really works. Um, there's a lot of people who have things to nitpick and criticize about 5th edition, um, including me. <laughs> but um, I, I can't emphasize enough how streamlining and simplifying D&D is to getting it to this kind of mainstream acceptance that we have today. Well, um, did all of that make sense? No, it did make sense. And I, <laughs> I go actually, back and replay this. I actually wanted to ask you, like, as a DM, um, I mean, first of all, you do a fantastic job. Yes. And I could not even oh, imagine thank you. how difficult that is. Um, and I guess I wanted to ask you, like, what where is the inspiration for that? I mean, how much of that is purely out of your head? How much of that is based on pre-established D&D lore? Is there, I mean, I know there are guidebooks, but how much of that truly guides the story or is that really completely on the DM? And if so, like, 
why is that fair that they make all the rules to make it easier for the player and not for the person that's behind the game itself? You are asking precisely the right questions, and I'm so glad that you don't, have done don't, that. Don't do um, that. Of don't, course I am. Don't encourage him. Um, so don't inflate his ego. To, to, to back up, um, as a as a DM, there's basically two different ways that you can run a campaign. You can either um, run it from a campaign book, uh, which is a pre-published campaign, uh, or you can do something called homebrew it, which is basically you make up everything. Um, the, the plot, the setting, the characters, etc. Um, there are published campaign books that um, you know, you could buy uh, you know, the uh, Waterdeep Heist and it is a published book by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, you can buy it in a bookstore, get it, and presumably you could just read it starting on page one and it will guide you through this story that your players participate in and how it actually plays out and what happens at the table is still kind of like up for grabs, but you have this framework to work in. They provide you the settings, the characters, and all the rest. and uh, you know, if it works as intended, then you could just run it out of the book. Uh, there are a lot of DMs that do that, and there's like no shade to that because it's it's not less work; it's just a different kind of work to prepare and run that game. Then you have people like me who prefer to kind of make their own setting and their own rules, um, where, and that's a very different approach because you have your characters, you have whatever you've established already as far as the rules or the world and the setting and the characters and you have to ask yourself like what happens next what would make a good story i really relish that because i like that freedom to be able to just kind of do whatever uh it's also really terrifying because like there's some times where like i just can't come up with stuff um and that I, I think for any creative person that just happens sometimes there's not really anything that can be done about it um as far as like do you have any questions about that before I keep answering? No, no, I, I, can, question, I completely get it. No, 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 what? no, 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 we're just going to keep going. No, I didn't, me out? I may or may not if have you're listening on the podcast, exercise the power. Yeah. How dare you? You're That's what happens when you give me access to the stream yard. I'm just saying, um, listen, what are you going to ask? No, because no, I worked very I, I hard on these clips, and we're already ask 40 minutes. Relative to, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I thought this was going to be brief. No, it's not you. You're the it's one that's you. complaining about me <laughs> kicking you out. Questions. Not that you didn't yeah. deserve it, but it's whatever. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> how much? Like, I mean, when you do just kind of free ball it so to speak and um and make your own campaign how how detailed do you get like do you try to think of every possible scenario from from moment to moment in order to be prepared for whatever the player might do or do you try to kind of wing it as you go on certain things um when i first started as a dm uh i really over prepared and i tried to think of like every possible outcome and I had scenarios built up as far as like what would be a cool story. And what it ended up doing was I would basically kind of subconsciously guide players towards this like brilliant story that I've cooked up. Yeah. And um, what I had to learn was like 
that's not why players come to the table. They come to the table because they want to play their characters and uh, and basically be the stars of this like television show that yeah, all they, of you are running have together at the same ownership time. of yeah. the story as well. Yeah, I get that for sure. Yeah. So when I have my preconceived notions about what the story should be and try to guide the players into that, then at a certain point it becomes like controlling and not fun for the other players. Cause like if I just wanted to, to tell a story where everything goes the way I wanted to, I could just write a book. Like, right, right. and that's really not what tabletop RPG is about. Yeah. Um, so when I do come up with scenarios, I it's mostly nowadays I prepare a lot less. Um, I might have like a page of notes and it's mostly like, what do I think would be good uh, encounters for the players to have? What would be interesting to happen? Uh, and I don't try to force it to happen. It's more like this is a potential thing that might happen. That might be a cool addition to the story. If the players never get to it, then whatever. Um, and, but if they do, then great. And I've built up enough experience where if players go in a completely different direction or things happen that you don't expect, like Alicia getting killed, then I can just roll with it. And I have enough, um, experience as a dm that i can kind of think, think on my feet and uh be able to have enough for the players to do that uh it gives the illusion that i have everything kind of prepared and mm-hmm. um oh you're you're participating in my world that i've co- that i've concocted with my genius but really it's not like that at all it's um it, it, it like if you if you've watched enough movies then when you watch a really uh, uninspired, stereotypical, derivative movie, you mm-hmm. could call out what's going to happen before it ever happens. True. It's yeah. kind of like that, where because I've played enough D&D, um, I can have a lot less preparation and still know like how to set a scene and introduce the, uh, the, the, the conflict in the scene and uh, guide the players through it and then have the release of that tension and that scene ends. Um, I've gotten a lot better at that over time, but yeah, it does take experience to do. Um, and just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit, I had this whole uh, segment planned from the last episode of Red Five Tavern, where after the players fought this kind of like gigantic corrupted jellyfish, don't ask, um, <laughs> there, there would basically be like this uh, old shipwreck that had been trawled up from the kind of chaos that the jellyfish had caused and uh, freshly beached onto the shore. And there would be like a treasure chest and the players would get like a bunch of loot from it. But also there would be this whole kind of side quest where the players would investigate the ship, figure out that this kind of black oil ooze thing that's been corrupting the land. It's also corrupted the ship, but like 150 years ago. And like the That's ghost cool. of the captain would be on there and would like try to get the players to help them find some goddamn peace and quiet for once. Um, <laughs> but then Kalisha died and I realized that's where we're ending it. Like all yeah. this other stuff, like inconsequential now, like this is the most important thing. So we're going to roll with that. Uh, okay. So I hope that answers your question about. So you, so you give yourself a certain level of flexibility as you go. I, no, I can appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's essential. Some people are like really loosey goosey with prep and they're just like, Oh, I'll just make it up as we go. And they're really good at that. 
I'm I'm not like it's not good or bad to have to prep a lot or a little. Uh, it's just different styles for how to DM. Um, but I will say, as I've gotten more experienced, I've learned to like let go, right. uh, to un- unclench the butthole, as it were, yeah. and uh, just let that story slide That's in. Always good. Just relax. Let it slide in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Bear down a little uh, bit. Now, have you ever have you ever had one that got so far off the rails that you found it difficult to? get back to where you were trying to take the story to begin with luckily no but that's also um playing at the table uh i i subscribe to the theory that um when i'm a dm it's not my game that you're playing and i'm not here to dispense fun into your face um What's happening at the table, I believe, is everybody's responsibility, including the other players and including me. And um, part of that is kind of the social contract where the players understand that I've prepared the game, I've prepared an adventure for them to participate in, and they've shown up to play it. So if I put something in front of them, then I'm kind of expecting that they're going to go for it and they trust me to provide a fun experience for them. And uh, I trust them that if things go off the rails, that we're going to go along for the ride and I'm not I'm not going to shut them out from that. Um, I've been lucky enough that so far um, it's not gone so far off the rails that I'm like, uh, uh, and I'm like completely preparing everything like out of my ass. Um, But if that were to happen, I would probably say something like your ass is okay. I'd be like, okay, cool. I have this whole continent of content prepared over here and you want to go off to a little Island. Okay, cool. We'll meet back in, in a week when I have that content prepared and we'll call it. That, that asshole runs deep. I get that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I am interested though in uh, chat GPT and uh, how that has helped with preparation. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with actually using it, but um I use it as kind of a brainstorming device where I might have like a rough idea of uh, what's going to happen. And if you use ChatGPT the right way, it can actually generate some pretty interesting ideas or probably more important. It will, um, at least the way I am, I'm most creative when I'm reacting to something instead of just pulling something out of thin air. Mm -hmm. So it will give me something to react to and be like, oh, no, that's not what I want. No, not that, not not. Not that, not that. Oh, but what if, what if I do that? So, um, for example, the whole jellyfish encounter. I knew that um, I wanted an encounter with this this crazy encounter with like a giant creature that the players haven't fought yet. And I thought, well, they fought some creatures in the forest, and in the forest, and in the forest, and in the shadow realm. But uh, what about like a sea creature? So, uh, using ChatGPT, I like ran through a bunch of different like giant sea creatures and then I'm like, you know what? What about like a fucking jellyfish? <laughs> it was, a, it was, it was that, very inventive. It was that great. sounded like really wacky and um, yeah, and like instantly recognizable. Like when is the next time that these players are ever going to fight a giant jellyfish, you know? So, exactly. and I just kind of oh, ran yeah. with that and was able to work out a bunch of details along that. Um, and I guess that gets back to your earlier question about inspiration. I pull from everywhere I pull from TV shows, movies, 
books that I've read. Um, in particular, this whole kind of like aquatic, uh, this like dark nautical aquatic sea creature kind of theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled from a album by Ween called The Mollusk, which okay. is like very weird and kind of like psychedelic rock. Um, but it, 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 I don't know. I, I, music for me is a way for me to experience emotions that I don't know how to describe. Mm-hmm. But I know that like when I listen to a song, I can be like, okay, I want to make an encounter that feels for feels the players that. what this song makes me feel, if that right. makes sense. I get that. No, absolutely. That's so, great. Yeah, you pull inspiration from anywhere you can. Yeah. Yeah. And just to show some of that, um, we do have the Red Five Tavern, which is part of the Red Five Network. And this was something that was created by the co-host of Scare Scuttlebutt, which is um Brad. But um we've kind of made it a very collective thing now and we've all kind of have taken control of it with Aaron and Charles being our current DM and Kelly, who is also a player. Uh, she likes to create these TikToks of certain <laughs> certain funny moments within the game. So I kind of want to showcase the fun side because, again, there is, I think, that stigma that because it's so overly nerdy that, oh, how can you possibly have fun with something that is so intricate? But no, we find a way to make it work, as Kelly said earlier. You let Princess Sprinkles strip on a pole, damn it. (laughs) I knew it would be this clip. (laughs) Let's see. I very much enjoyed it. So let's let's take a look at some of these TikToks, shall we? Sprinkles, where was that place that you took me again? Ye old titty bar. The old titty bar. <laughs> and after only two rum punches, okay? Teeny, tiny, beautiful little sprinkles. Whips off her clothes, hops up on stage, starts twerking in her tiny little top, and starts spinning around the stripper. Dead ass. Oh my god. Look at that <laughs> look at look at that tiny little This is happening. Like one guy finally comes up and he threw like two coppers at her. Like I think they were penny coppers. I start talking to the guy and he just happens to be a bone cobbler, okay? Now a bone. That, that's a bone what he told cobbler. you? A bone cobbler. Okay, that was the story. Approximately ten hours later. And and now we each have an awesome dagger. Alright. And and Sprinkles has recovered since from her hangover. Oh, that's good. We're good glad to hear. Two days, not one day, because uh that was um Does anybody else have any other stories? <laughs> good luck following that. Thank the Lord. All right. Um, so one night, Dagenra is uh, out having a few drinks, and <laughs> he, calls him, he calls himself the own cobbler. This is why my figure so well. And you know what else I can do? 
I love <laughs> Come on, that has to be a natural 20 on something. <laughs> Wait, Charles, Charles, watch. You have to watch. I bet you I'm I'm going to go over to the guy next to next. Let me just check to make sure my family's not watching. this. <laughs> <laughs> your order? I'll take a large fry and. <laughs> <laughs> I always do it. I always take a drink before I ask a question and someone bursts <laughs> me. You guys want to have a little memorial service for him real quick? For the coffee guy? The innkeeper! <laughs> yeah, please. Please. The I got nothing going on. Nestra? Do you think you can tell your imp to look around the longhouse and find some candles? Sure. I can do that. I'm going to dress into something more appropriate for this occasion. Okay. I'm going to use my druid craft um, to light those candles. And I'm going to take my, um, my glamour weave I'm going to lay it down on a table and kind of make it look like there is a body under it because I don't know about you guys, but there is no way I can stand over a mound of caterpillar shit and pretend to spark. So I mean, I could, but yeah, just that. for you. You bitch. I yeah yeah I I can't do it guys I I can't I can't memorialize pile of crap. It's okay, Kalisha. I dress for the occasion in my little black dress. Oh, sprinkles! Mm. I decided to wear an extra beard. number two. I did. I I feel like I I should honor Kark with this, you know, with these authentic real leather pants I have on. Oh, mm. I'm Kalisha, so I just. I put on a black robe that resembles something that a nun would wear. Kiki, we need to work on your style. I, I'm fine. I'm going to yeah, order uh, a double chai latte. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to get it for you, Fizzfire? <laughs> I mean, the service was bad here anyway. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Nice throw there. Definitely is. He's <laughs> arrogant fuck. Sorry. Uh, uh, humble. I like that. <laughs> and you get too humble, they might crumble, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. This is the worst flirting ever. <laughs> I swear, if Kalisha walks in and you guys doing the nasty, I'm out. Nice conversationalist. Can you, okay, can you go? I'm a monk. I don't talk to people. It's my job. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, good Lord, this is why I stay in the fucking woods. Um, can you please go? Can you, 
please go <laughs> get your uh, quinoa blade and please get my uh, dagger. Quinoa. <laughs> you're coming out of your meditation. Okay. And and uh, so you're in the room, um, you're, but you don't know what's going on. But uh, you obviously you had your plan, and uh, and so you know sprinkles is right there. And uh, yeah, so what do you at this point? What would you like to do? Hey, sprinkles, when did you get up here? Shh, don't worry about it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay. So no, I can guarantee you it's not. <laughs> Sprinkles, why are there strawberry skins on my arms? Again, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> right. Oh, this woman sort of positions herself over uh, Kira and she begins this extremely complex incantation it's and tricks us. <laughs> Trixus, you see this and <laughs> let's see what four minutes and 17 seconds <laughs> it's a new personal new record, record. <laughs> good night everybody thanks for joining Red 5 Tavern have a good Bye. night <laughs> <laughs>
I don't know about either of those, so I'll leave it to you to <laughs> well, teach like us about I said, that. Um, for me, I mean, again, I already knew what D&D was even before I started watching uh, Big Bang Theory, but it really was Big Bang Theory that piqued my interest. And the only reason why is because, again, I had a very preconceived notion about what it was, how it was played. And I didn't know that there was such a creative freedom to it. So when I was watching it played, um, which this is probably one of my favorite uh, clips is, you know, because you were talking about the creativity. And this also kind of shows also how sometimes the DM has to kind of think on their toes. And I really hope that YouTube doesn't stop the stream when I showed this, <laughs> when I show this. So I think this is the correct one. This one is of those actually, kind of clips, huh? Okay. Yeah, this is actually Ooh. my one of my favorite episodes of Big Bang Theory, which is funny because it is very D and D centric. Like almost the entire episode just takes place in the apartment and they're playing, which you can actually see right behind me. And um, basically, the ladies of the show have never played before, but there's something that kind of happens that triggers them to have to play, and the DM the DM kind of has to think on his toes. And of course, there's a movie element to it because I love my celebrities so I just was like oh I didn't think that you could play D&D &D this way and there was even an episode where they made it Christmas themed so here's a clip just to show how creative you can actually get with D&D &D. and I hope that this is the one because I have so many loaded in here right Sheldon to start our quest you need to open this little Christmas gift I got a Christmas gift you know I don't enjoy Christmas <laughs> would you just look inside Oh, a scroll. I like scrolls. <laughs> They're my third favorite system of transmitting the written word after stone tablets and skywriting. <laughs> you have all been summoned to join a thrilling Dungeons and Dragons adventure. Your quest begins in a secret northern village of elves who have all been massacred. <gasps> I like where this is headed. <laughs> Your task is to rescue their leader from a dungeon of ogres. Oh, that's a saucy twist. <laughs> that leader's name, Santa Claus. But no, no, no. <laughs> It's actually ho, 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 but you'll get the hang of it. <laughs> you find yourselves in the smoking remains of Santa's village. Clearly, a great battle has taken place. Oh, man, the first monster I see, I'm going to sneak up behind him, whip out my wand, and shoot my magic all over his ass. <laughs> Do you hear yourself? My kind of D&D. &D. Yeah, there you go. That's for you, honey. You? <laughs> I follow the Talk about a comeback. tracks, checking for secret doors <laughs> along the way. And Shut up, JV. Stop being a hater. Door leading to a dark corridor. Okay, guys, let's make a plan. Spellcasters in the back, warriors in the front. Screw that noise. I'm going in. Hang on, Santa. I'm coming for you. <laughs> okay, you run into a room full of weapons, hit a tripwire. A cannon blows your face off. You die. You're out of the game. <laughs> oh, Kelly knows how that feels. Oh, oh poor Kelly. Lucky. rod of resurrection because if you've got one i need it bad <laughs> get in here with your rod and give it to me <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i think i cracked the code see this is where i like bridge. how innovative <laughs> this is and how intricate it can actually get the drawbridge is lowering
Carpal tunnels acting up. Play to the pain. Hey, Rum. Rummy. You did it. The drawbridge is down. What's the big deal? Raj bailed so we could use some extra players. I've just never played Dungeons and Dragons with girls before. Oh, don't worry, sweetie. No one has. <laughs> Penny. What do you say? I'll leave it up to the dungeon master. A satanic fungus that looks suspiciously like Al Pacino rises from the forest floor and says, You're playing D&D. You're playing D&D. This whole apartment is playing D&D. You find yourselves face to face with two hulking ogres. What are you doing? This reminded me of you, Aaron. <laughs> I heard that voice. And I was like, oh, my God. Goes out, spreads his wings and so yeah like this is this is definitely some of the stuff that i really liked is how creative that the guys were able to get that you know howard which this is the character howard he's the one that is the dm for this game and he's decided to put his own spin on it there's another clip where he does a voice as nicholas cage he does a voice as christopher walken and this is really the one that was like, oh, my God, I had no idea that you could get like this knee deep into it. And the way that the girls end up having to play is uh, Raj's character. He ends up getting a call from his girlfriend and he decides that he'd rather go be with his girlfriend. <laughs> and it's Valid. just yeah, it's just Sheldon and and uh, and Leonard playing. And, you know, they're like, as you saw, he decided to do the Al Pacino voice and they ended up playing. And it was just that's really what got me into it. So that kind of leads me to my yeah. question of how did you get into D&D? What sparked your like, how did you end up deciding, oh, I want to play? Yeah, um, it's an it's an interesting story because, like, uh, I grew up like conservative Christian and I kind of took it at my parents word that, like, D and D was evil, um, mm. and didn't really want to like investigate it for myself uh, at the time. But I had a friend um, who I'm still friends with today, uh, good old Maxwell Havlick, who in high school he uh, he was he was a DM. He was running uh, D and D games, and he would explain to me like in story form of like what was happening in the campaigns that he was running. And I thought it was really neat. Um, but there was this kind of like self-imposed barrier that I had where I'm like, you know, I can appreciate the stories, but I can't get like involved further. Um, and then uh, fast forward several years later, um, around like 2017, I want to say, mm -hmm. uh, I had grown up and matured a lot into a different person. Thank God. And um, I we're relieved too. don't worry. Through, yeah. Yeah. Um, through like <laughs> through like friends that I had and like different experiences that I had came to understand D&D &D and tabletop games in a much different light. And um, kind of my 
first entry into that was actually Star Wars. I was going to college and one of my friends uh, at the time he was DMing a Star Wars game and it sounded pretty neat. So I'm like, sure, I'd love to play. And we were using um, there. There's a separate system called the Star Wars role playing game system, mm. um, which funny enough was first published by West End Games and then acquired by Wizards of the Coast in the early 2000s. Um, so they published a version of it called the Saga Edition, which is basically D&D 3.5 edition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with the serial numbers filed off and changed into Star Wars flavor. Uh, so that's the system that I first learned and played in. And I was like immediately hooked because it was just super fun. I loved playing a character in that. And uh, so we played through a campaign over the course of like a semester. And then the following semester, that friend of mine who ran the game, he had become too busy with schoolwork that he could no longer run it. And I kind of stepped up to the plate and uh, ran a campaign with including him as a player and a bunch of other students as players. And Mm -hmm. it was nerve wracking and frightening but entirely fun at the same time so mm-hmm. it was just very kinky and um <laughs> it's it the was, best kind of kink it's it was, exciting it and scary um, at the same time yes yeah we were we were playing in person and um i at that point this had become like my special interest and i was fully engaged in it i had bought like a a lot of star wars miniatures off of ebay so i had like this big bag just full of them these little plastic miniatures and i bought um a huge pad of one inch grid paper that i would like draw the maps on uh with like marker and then we i would just like plop it down on the table we would like borrow a conference room uh for like a few hours and i would just like plop it down and then like had the miniatures on there uh when like the polar vortex hit Chicago a few years ago, we were like in mm-hmm. the middle of the campaign. Right. So I ended up, we did a complete remote session by, I had a laptop up with like Skype on it and everybody was in that call. And I had my, uh, a webcam on like a tiny little tripod as like the, the visual for it. And I just had this grid paper out and I would like move the webcam so that everybody could see like what was going on and they would like tell me where to move their miniature and it, it was it was wild um but that was kind of my first hook into it and i loved it yeah um at at that time i was <clears throat> still in touch with max and he was running a online campaign with proper dungeons and dragons uh fifth edition so i became a player in that game and uh we're still playing with that group together so it's been like wow. 6 years five, six years with that same group of players were like three campaigns in. Um, and it kind of just ballooned from there. Like I've played, um, Delta green, which is a spinoff of call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu is, uh, you are not fantasy heroes. Mm You're just average, like regular people investigating this paranormal nonsense. And it turns out to be this kind of like Lovecraftian horror. And, Uh, if, if you don't horrifically die, you are incredibly lucky. <laughs> um, and Delta Green, you're playing as like government agents. It's kind of like X Files, where you are investigating this 
Lovecraftian paranormal stuff, but you're also trying to like contain it and keep knowledge of it out of the public eye. You're like these off the books kind of black ops kind of uh, characters. And so part of that is dealing with like the tremendous mental and social toll that takes when you're trying to like keep from going insane, doing this hugely important work that you can't tell anybody about. Yeah. Um, so I played that. I've played uh, the edge of the empire system where it's star Wars, but to figure out what happens, you basically build up a dice pool where it's a bunch of different weirdly shaped dice and you roll it all and you add up the successes and failures. And that's really cool to DM for because like uh, with fifth edition, it's basically you either succeed or fail Mm -hmm. with edge of the empire. You can succeed, but with a bunch of negative stuff also happening or you can fail, but with some positive benefits from it. And it's very loosey goosey with the rules, but it lets you kind of flow and be like, oh, yeah, like you kind of fail at this task, but you gain some kind of benefit that helps you out or, yeah, you succeed, but there's some drawbacks and it kind of like ratchets up the tension even further. It's extremely narrative, that kind of game. So if you're thinking about like D&D, but the rules are like way too complicated there are far simpler rule systems out there. Let me assure you, yeah. uh, you don't have to play D and D as fun and flexible as it is. And uh, I, I landed on star Wars fifth edition, which is a fan made conversion of the fifth edition rules for D and D into star Wars, but they rework a lot of stuff to try to fix um, what are like common flaws with the D and D fifth edition system. Uh, and it's like all free. It's all, uh, on a very nicely maintained website out there. And I'm actually just finished a four year campaign in that system. We're about to start a new one. So uh, yeah, once, once I got the, once I got the taste of it, I'm like, mm, more please. And uh, I, instead so I've been of a player, been a DM dragons, and yeah. Instead of dungeons and dragons, do they call that uh Sarlacc pits and rancors or <laughs> yeah, like- yeah, close enough. Close enough. Oh, yeah. Now, Josh, so, yeah, there, Josh, there really is like, Josh, how many times have you played in the Red Five Tavern? Played? Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what you were talking no, about. No, that's not what I meant. Um, <laughs> daily. Um, no, uh, yeah, I've only actually played with, with you guys on one stream. Um, and it was, I really enjoyed it. But uh, at the time, I was just so fresh and new that I really didn't know couldn't get my head around what it was that I was doing. And and honestly, just our mm-hmm. discussion tonight has actually helped tremendously. And I did actually have a question for you, Aaron, like, yeah, what's your preference? Do you prefer to play or do you prefer to be the DM? And then I have a follow-up question Ooh. to that, which is, I mean, uh, like I kind of alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. um, I think in some ways there's a, distinction and separation between the dm and the player and i think part of that's good um because if the dm's the storyteller there needs to be a respect coming from the players that the story that they're telling the dm has the final say in and um there is kind of a deference to that and um it's weird because like in a kink cunt in like a kink context, I'm actually like more of a sub, but um, like a DM is kind of more of a dominant yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, so it's strange. 
But um, as a player, I enjoy going along for the ride, and there are ways that I try to contribute to the story um, that are informed by my experience as a DM. Uh, for example, like if it's pretty obvious that the DM is putting out like a plot hook, like I'm gonna go for it. If right. um, if there's like the classic example is like going through a door. Um, mm-hmm. your, your your typical D and D party is gonna be super paranoid about like what could be behind that door and like is it trapped? Like what if it's the wrong door? What if it's an illusion? Oh my okay. god! I'm gonna be the player who's like I'm going through that fucking door. I don't care what's on the other side. <laughs> Because so you're I, like Raj, I'm gonna go right in and then spring yeah, yeah. the trap. I'm like, I have, and and this isn't always true, but I, I usually I have enough trust in the DM to be like, mm-hmm. there's something fun on the other side of that door. Right. It might mean that I get hurt. It might mean but, some setbacks, but it's in service of a larger story that we can all share together. So I'm gonna be like, yeah, I'm going for and it. And while and Does while it, it's not comedy you have to think of D in terms of like improv you know where mm-hmm. one of the basic rules of improv is to always say yes yes and so you know you kind of have to treat D a little obviously yes you want to be strategic about it there is strategy behind everything that you do and you don't want to just be gun ho about and just rush in but at the same point you don't want to hinder yourself or the game by just completely saying no i don't want to do this no i don't want to do this no i don't want to do this so yeah if there is a door and you can tell that the dm is leading go ahead peek behind that door see what that's going to lead right. to because that's going to progress the story right it's very um, reactionary i think mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, it's about and it's kind of why I said earlier why I consider like the DM to be a player too and right. um the experience that you're making is a collective one that everybody has a responsibility to contribute to. Mm-hmm. Um I really believe in that because you are creating this space for creativity to happen and the unknown to happen. And right. that's really the juice of D and D that you're that you're going after. Any tabletop game, really. Yeah. Um. Yeah, for sure. So, for that for that purpose, um, people bring up improv a lot, and mm-hmm. the kind of wisdom that you can get from that, where instead of saying no to stuff, you say like yes and. So, yeah. um, in improv, you have like the setup to a scene, and it's kind of understood that with your scene partners, um you're not going to try to negate or deny things that they add to the scene. You're going to try to say yes, that and, and you build on top of that. And I think generally that's good advice, especially because like I was when I was beginning to DM, the tendency is to be, I'm going to create my world and tell my story. And these players are along for the ride. And that's a bad mentality to have as a DM because you're not creating that open space for something extraordinary to happen. Uh, you're closing it off. So generally, yes, and is good advice. There are times when no, but is also a good approach. Right. Um, for example, if as a DM, you're trying to like set the tone for a scene and someone kind of like undercuts it with like a dick joke or something. Um, there are times to be like, no, 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 no that didn't happen. Or what? like, what? no, your character wouldn't do that. Or uh, so there, there have been times when I've had to say no before as a DM. Dicks are uh, not a joke. too. <laughs> But um, generally, yes, uh, yes, and is a good approach to take. And um, there, there is a lot of crossover between like theater nerds and uh, RPG nerds 
because a lot of what you are doing is kind of active improv storytelling. It is. No, there it is, is no there's there's no script that you're playing out. It's a TV episode that you're all writing together in real mm-hmm. time. And th- yeah. that, that's why there's it's so hard to compare this hobby to any other. And mm-hmm. that's why I think it's the most fun you can have with your brain. Right. Now, my follow up question to what Josh had asked was, which is why I asked, you know, how many times he's played doing the Red Five Tavern. He's done it once. I've already done it, you know, quite a few times, but that's all we know is basically doing it on a stream because, you know, we all, mm-hmm. we all live in different places. We have, you know, luckily the luxury of technology where we can still play, but how different is it playing like this cross country through technology versus actually physically playing the game together in the same room with with the board like what's that experience been like for you uh i mean part of me wants to go full boomer and be like you know in person's the best um and i i I, I do think there are some i do think there are some qualities to playing in person that Mm -hmm. you don't get otherwise um being able to share space with everybody else in the room and be able to read body language and facial cues. Um, there's just something to that, that uh, video technology just can't quite replicate. And yeah. I do firmly believe in that. Um, however, there are also a lot of upsides to uh, doing an online or a streaming game that mm-hmm. you're not going to get elsewhere. Um, one of the, one of the software programs that I use to run my games is called Foundry. Mm-hmm. And it is a virtual tabletop where, you know, you get a grid. I could put any image that I want on it that shows like the map of what's happening. Uh, all the players get different tokens. That's um, cool. And it is specifically programmed. Um, there's a module for it that follows all the rules of D&D 5th edition. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can add uh, Eldritch Blast and Smite and a plus one longsword to your character, and it will automate all of the math for you. So you click right. a button, you say, I want to Eldritch, sm- uh, Eldritch Blast uh, that enemy, and slut. it will know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard know all your. Yeah, it's fine. Oh fun. my God. You can Eldritch Slut that enemy, and yeah. uh, it will <laughs> the add all the modifiers for you and do all the math, and it will just roll the dice for you. Roll um, a there's D a lot of utility. Yeah. Poor yeah. Aaron. There's a lot of. <laughs> Sorry. There's a lot of utility to that that I really like, and it will like track hit points for you. Um, so that part of my brain is like, I really love online stuff because <laughs> I can keep combat moving, um, and it's. It's just very different when I'm running it for Red 5, where we don't have that. We have theater of the mind. I have to rely more on uh, descriptors of what everybody sees and where they are at. And I have to mentally keep track of that. And I don't have like a handy like hit point meter that I can move up or down for different Mm -hmm. enemies. I have to like track that on paper. Um, So there's there's trade offs to both. Uh, I think the ultimate way to do it would be to have one of those like fancy tables that people have yeah. built with like a tu- with like a like a touchscreen TV in it where you can like move your miniature on it, but you also get access to all that like rules automation that you have. So, so it kind of plays out more like a video game. Um, that would be the best of both worlds. But um, I'm also grateful for 
the technology that allows us to play online because without that, I wouldn't have been able to run the, you know, four year uh, Star Wars campaign that I've been able to run with the people that I have. Um, It allows people to connect in ways that they wouldn't be able to otherwise. And normally the trade off with technology is that it's faster, cheaper, more convenient, and it's worse. Um, And I think in some ways that's true for the hobby, but also um, it's been what's been able to make it as popular as it has been that people are able to find people to play with online Mm -hmm. and connect and play in ways that they haven't been able to. Like I'm thinking of players who are disabled or otherwise um, medically at risk that they, that playing in person just wouldn't be feasible for them. But playing online, they're able to. Yeah, definitely doesn't discriminate. Um, Anyone can play. It kind of provides a a world for, for everyone to live the, mm -hmm. the life that they want to, to a certain extent. It's definitely, yeah. I would say, to you know, an outlet. It definitely can be an outlet. I mean, I know there have definitely been times where even I'm like, oh my god, it's been such a rough week at work. And sometimes I'm not in the mood, obviously, because even though D and D is fun, there's still obviously a little a level of, of thought to it. So sometimes I'm so burnt out yeah. from the week at work. But then there are other times, and you know, I know Kelly could. Um, will back me up on this but then there are times where it's like oh my god this is going to be so therapeutic to play like i need this tonight i need my friends i need to Mm. kill something within the game you know what i mean so yeah definitely serves a purpose in that way it's a good release it is a good release yes um speaking of which hmm. (laughs) um (laughs) we're gonna get huge factor of this we we'll, we'll get there there's a huge social benefit to D&D is a hobby as well mm-hmm. because it, it simply requires other people to play with but yeah. it also um, in this day and age we've kind of lost this kind of regular rhythmic um, running into people and spending time in the same place yes. uh, with other people um, and D&D kind of gives that structure to be able to say hey let's meet every week or every other week or in the case of my Star Wars campaign once a month and be like, we're just going to get together and we're going to spend four hours plus just talking to each other, which is very weird. And especially if you run one-on-one D&D like I've had before, when's the last time you just sat with someone across the table or even online and just had a conversation with them for four hours? It's very weird. And to anyone who's not played D&D, that might sound really weird. Like, how can you spend four hours doing this crap when like watching a two hour movie is a chore. I assure you when you're in it, the time flies you're in it. Oh yeah, it really does. Um, and, uh, as you are, as you're creating this space for creativity to happen, everybody gives of themselves a little bit when they, when they add to that and when they, uh, contribute to that creative space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in some ways it gets very personal um i'm not going to say that like tabletop rpgs can like you know give you better eyesight cure baldness it's it'll <laughs> cure everything it's not like that it can do that it can make you more empathetic um mm-hmm. but uh it, it's not a guarantee but there are times when that happens when people really place personal parts of themselves into that space and it can be very healing and therapeutic mm-hmm. um my character I mentioned earlier, uh, Baltazar, who's this kind of like 
Egyptian Anubis dogman thing. Um, he is a uh, Echo Knight uh, subclass for who's a fighter Echo Knight subclass, and one of the conceits of that is uh, you you can make like this ghostly image of yourself on the battlefield who kind of like occupies another space, and you can attack from your position or their position. And I came up with this like interesting story about these twins who uh you know one of them was killed in a tragic series of events but they were both kind of like training to be these kind of like martial warriors within this uh very strict hierarchical society and um i took the kind of egyptian um theme to it where you know if she died a dishonorable death then his sister would end up you know being this kind of mindless mummy thing and Mm -hmm. so he like cremated her body instead and something to do with that means that she can like appear as a ghost but like she can't talk or anything and that's kind of the second image so it's right. like brother and sister fighting on the battlefield like the like the ice climbers from like super smash brothers and um so it just kind of ran with that story and it turned into this thing where like uh i also wanted to bring like religion into it because to me personally like it's a little weird that in D and D, if you're playing a religious character, you're going to be like a cleric or a paladin. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, why can't like a fighter be religious? Like, yeah. you don't have to get like a mechanical benefit from it, but wouldn't that be neat? And yeah. Ammon Ket has like really interesting gods where it's like five of them, and they're like huge, but they just like walk among their people and they like defend their city from any harm that comes to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had my character Baltazar kind of have an uneasy relationship with his gods where after he's kind of cast out from their society he's like well I believe in my gods but like the people suck and I didn't intend it to be but it kind of ended up mirroring my own kind of like deconstruction from my Christian faith and rebuilding it into something like more sophisticated and nuanced and that ended up being like reflected in Baltazar where he's like there's this whole plot line where he ends up revealing that everybody in his city who apparently was like happy and happy go lucky and under the protection of their gods, like, oops, they're all actually undead and nobody knows it. And there's this whole scheme going on to like keep everything the status quo. And he ended up revealing all of that. And so he's undead now, but at least it's the truth. And it kind of reflected my own kind of like spiritual journey as far as like reimagining and reunderstanding what faith looks like um, mm-hmm. in a kind of complicated world that we have. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for my buddy Max for putting that kind of story together. I don't even know if he knew like what was going on with me or it, yeah. it just kind of happened that way. But D and D gives you that kind of creative space where if everybody's kind of like giving of themselves into it, then it's going to draw out these, kinds of experiences that you play through that you can't really get in any like video game or movie or anything. It's just this completely different thing. I don't know how else to describe it. Honestly. I mean, for someone, for someone like me who wanted to get into acting, I mean, if 
for anyone who doesn't know, you know, acting isn't always just about absorbing that character. Every actor always tries to bring a little piece of themselves to the character that mm -hmm. they're playing. And it's the same thing with, with D and D. Uh, the first character that I had was actually created for me. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I can tell you once I took over and created princess sprinkles myself, Honestly, I found that I understood the game a lot better. And she is definitely has personality traits of me. She's completely fucking crazy. And yeah. it, there's definitely elements of myself in Princess Sprinkles. And I actually find that to be a much better way to go about it. Like create your own mm. character. It helps you to get more familiarized with what they can do, what they can't do. It's li their limitations. So it's been very interesting. It's been quite the education. I really I'm recommend sure, that people uh, try yeah. and play it. I, I'm sure that ownership really, you know, makes the character, you know, an extension of yourself to a certain, certain bit. Yeah, and and it, it, really, it really does. I'm literally yeah. an extension of myself. <laughs> yeah. You just um, like sticking your hand up her skirt. That's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely valid to have like a pre-generated character or play a character that someone else makes for you. Like that's totally fine. And for some people, um, the value that they get out of D and D is what I call like beer and pretzels D and D, mm -hmm. where you just kind of like want to show up and hack and slash, kill monsters, and it's kind of like a, a, a stress relief, an outlet. And that is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I just go for the origin. But, <laughs> but yeah, making your own character and uh, being able to flex that creative side of yourself um, into what you make, I think is super, super important. Um, I think, and at the same time, I think it's natural for most new players to make a character that's basically them plus plus. Right. It's right, kind of like right. an ideal versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. You can have a lot of fun doing that. But if you're in the hobby long enough, like I, like I've been, you end up making characters that, uh, or you might try making a character that's very different than you. And I was, I was going to ask you about that that you like to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's once you do that, you a key aspect of role playing is that you are playing a role. You are pretending that you're someone that you're not and it could be a power fantasy where you're this you know capable hero in in ways that you're not in real life but it also gives you an opportunity to uh exercise empathy and uh see different points of view from a character's perspective that you might not otherwise encounter and right. i have like talk to adults in real life who have told me in person that they don't like to read books or like anything like that because they don't like thinking the thoughts of another person mm -hmm. um, and they consider that weakness, which is mind boggling to me, but what? Dean. Yeah. Uh, empathy. In other words. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you'd be shocked how common that is. But D&D &D does give you that opportunity to make a character that's very different than you, like right. a different gender or different background than you. And it prompts you to ask yourself these questions like, 
what would it be like to grow up without parents or to grow up really poor, to grow up really rich, to grow up really advantaged? Um, what would it look like to grow up uh, irreligious or religious? And what kind of story possibilities arise out of that? And right. um, again, not saying that D&D is this kind of like panacea, this cure-all for everything, mm-hmm. but there is value there in being able to step into the shoes of someone very different than you and thinking about how would they think about the world? Uh, and that often comes to play in role-playing with D&D where sometimes you have to make decisions that you yourself wouldn't make, but your character would make. Uh, whether it could be acts of bravery and heroism or acts of cowardice. And that can prompt you to ask questions about yourself. Like what actually is important in life to me? Why does my character value this, but I don't Right. Uh, or vice versa. And um, yeah, it's gotten, it, it certainly caused me to reconsider some things in my own life as far as like, what do I find important? What do I think is good about the world? Um, there's a lot of possibilities there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, oh, go ahead. I was actually thinking like I was talking the other day. I don't know if you were in the green room when it happened, but like I was actually thinking of creating another character for myself that is kind of, sorry, honey, modeled and based off of Conan O'Brien. So now I want to create <laughs> a male character. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be jealous of Conan. I'll, oh no, he's gone. Oh my god. He gets so jealous. <laughs> it's whatever. I'll, I'll share I'll share with you a little trick. Uh whenever I want to rip off a character um for like D&D and put him in my game as like an NPC. Uh-huh. But I want to kind of disguise where they came from. I'll just flip the gender. Okay. You take okay. Han Solo, mm-hmm. uh, make him a girl, then mm-hmm. like people are far less likely to suspect that it's Han Solo. It's That's weird. Awesome. So, okay. uh, yeah, make your Conan, flip the gender if you want, and you might be surprised with what you no, come no, up no. with. No, no, no. He's going to stay a sounds... male because the, o- he would the only Conan is the barbarian. No, 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 no. Or keep a male to you know, poke your SO. ADB. I've noticed a certain word has been dropped a couple of times talking about D&D. Kink. Kinky. Yes. Yes. It is role-playing oh it's definitely a fetish Mm -hmm. that leads me into this clip which is i think very funny this one's actually a little this one's a lot shorter but amy and sheldon decide to get a little freaky with the D. &D. (laughs) so we'll discuss after we watch it she puts the D &D &D. game right if we didn't see that through okay I lead you to a secluded area where I attempt to remove your leather armor. Mind you, Sheldon, like, does not have sex. He's, like, not into it. It comes But off. she oh. is. Oh. <laughs> oh. I kiss you on the lips. I kiss you back on the... Lips as well. <laughs> I 
erotically caress your nose. Keep rolling. <laughs> hey, you guys have been in there for a while. You doing okay? We're fine, thank you. Okay, we just want to say we feel really Go bad away. about Sheldon is nibbling on my fourteen. Yes. <laughs> Love it. That's pretty good. No, so I could again, see how like, that could be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, and again, yes. Doing it one on one, so there you go. That was a good example of like the one on one play. They even have those dice yeah. that have like different positions on the sides. Mm -hmm. so they have those, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So this this came up when you were uh, kind of when I was asking to be on your show, but also you asked me to be on. Um, yeah. uh, this is completely anecdotal. I can't like prove it, <clears throat> but in my experience, the kind of Venn diagram between like D and D players and like the kink community is just a complete circle. Uh, um, yeah. and I was trying to figure out why, like what's going on here. And I have a few theories. I think one of them is alluding back to like the satanic panic era. Um, mm. I think D and D definitely be, was an outsider hobby for a long yeah. time. Just like the kink community was outsider for a long time. Still kind of is. Um, and yeah, so there's that kind of like shared, uh, commiseration that yeah. you have between kind of two outsider groups. Um, but also like what I was talking about earlier with this opportunity to practice empathy and creativity, uh, it's, if you have like a small closed mind when you're playing D and D, you're probably not going to play at a table for very long. Because you're going to end up um, with friction against other players, and uh, if like it doesn't friction. ruin the game, then eat. friction's oh. important. It we'll is. go there. Aaron There's good friction and bad all friction. The right words. Yes. <laughs> just, just you'll end up it. with some. You'll end up with some pretty bad friction with with other people. Um, Move it up. And but uh, I think part of it too also is that. With D&D, &D, you have a lot of rules. And with mm -hmm. rules, you have structures and expectations. And uh, also with kink, there's um, there's kind of the common perception that with someone who's like dominant in a power dynamic relationship that the kind of like the dom sets all the rules and the sub has to yeah. obey them all. It's right. not that at all. Um, there has to be a discussion about like what boundaries and limits are okay and acceptable for people and for both sides of, of the relationship and there's only one um, letter difference between dm and dom i'm just throwing that there out there you go 50 shades yeah. of dungeons and dragons yes exactly um so you have to come to you have to communicate and come into a consensus about like what's okay and what's not um and it, that's word super no important. candle wax yeah exactly no yeah, that's that's super important. And that's actually something that <laughs> D and D recently has kind of borrowed from the kink community is the idea of like a session zero or to be able to have uh what are called like uh consent tools where basically just ways to talk about the game so that everyone is on the same page as far as like what's acceptable in the campaign and what's not. Um there might be like some tables 
are super cool with like a really like grim dark fantasy kind of thing where um you know civilians getting killed regularly is kind of like on the line and uh this kind of like harsh bleak environment of violence Those people need therapy uh, <laughs> might be well they that might but also like it's, that probably it's is fiction they're, they're getting their 10 people yeah. no that is their therapy right. um Living if that's right therapy. for their table then that's what's right for their table but so, some people might not be cool with that there might be some players yeah. who are like i, I don't that. want animals getting harmed um yeah. and so being able to have that discussion up front not only establishes trust but also kind of like uh sets the rules for that and the boundaries for that creative space so that mm-hmm. within those boundaries everyone can be free to express themselves and have a great time and like no buts enough that's yeah. what that's what kink is about too Jesus, honey. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, yeah there's 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 probably more reasons than that for the crossover but there absolutely is a lot of crossover also while playing dressing up that sort of thing oh of course i mean they kind i was just gonna say i mean this is elves are hot yeah i mean this is no different than you know when db's had a day at work and he decides i'm gonna go play some call of duty to you know have that gaming therapy i mean it really is the same thing you know you said duty. yeah i did say duty <laughs> uh just like just like there's no link between video game violence and real world violence um there's no link between violence and D and yeah actual real world violence. either i'm sorry i don't you know how many people play video games on the regular oh, yeah. if that if that truly if there really was a correlation between those two things this, this world would be a lot more violent than it already be like is. walking through Fort so Yeah, that's so dumb. Like, I mean, like someone I said, who takes it's, that uh, seriously, they've already got a part loose, unfortunately, in their head. You know? Yeah. So, like I said, that's why, like, it's a moral panic that mm-hmm. basically linked to uh, Satanism with D and D. It's a moral panic that linked video games with violence uh, with oh. Columbine, and once you start to un- um, once you start to understand like what a moral panic actually looks like, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes like a lot easier to spot, and yeah. you can kind of understand um, what it is and realize that it's all bullshit. So yeah. Um, yeah. this is from a, a researcher who, in 1972, um, identified like five key stages of moral panic. Okay. Uh, somewhat. Someone, something, or a group are considered to be a threat to social norms or general community interests. Okay. Number one. Number two, the threat is de- depicted as a simple and recognizable form or symbol for easy recognition by the media. Three, the portrayal and information about the form or symbol rouses public concerns, creating an uneasy tension. Four, there's a response from recognized authorities and policymakers to help quell the fear. And five, the moral panic issues result in societal change. That all happened with D and D. That all yeah. happened with video games, with like Doom, and mm-hmm. uh, oh, definitely. Currently, that is happening with trans people. Yeah. Uh, and strangely enough, there's also a huge overlap between the LGBTQ community and D and D. Again, for those reasons that I listed above, as far as like outsider groups, right? Yeah, it um, and it does absolutely. Yeah, it's super easy in D and D to play as a female if you're a male, or vice versa. And be able to maybe explore ideas that 
it might not be safe in other contexts to explore. Um, so that I, would, would be, I would assume uh, that is also therapeutic, just like what we've already discussed. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, I, uh, I don't exactly. Have, uh, G-Force, exactly what you're saying right there. For for I would I would rather play Call of Duty. Gosh, <laughs> just say it. Duty. Duty. I would rather play Two. that for three hours. Then actually go out there and cause bodily harm to an actual human. Well, you know, it depends on the person. Yeah. It, I, that's why I say it absolutely depends on the person. But, you know, I mean, I've definitely done that. There have been times where I've just been like, you know what? I'm so frustrated. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I can't watch TV right now. Movies are not doing mm. it for me. Music, forget it. If I cannot listen, if I can't stomach the sound of music, you know that I am really like far gone. And there have been times where I'm like, you know what? Just going to plug in the Sega and I'll sit there and I'll play Tetris or Columns, whatever it's called. I could sit there and play Columns for four hours and not blink. Yeah. And I'd rather do that than go, you know, beat some random stranger up on the street, you know, or right. run over some hookers in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Whatever helps, I mean, man. Or on the actual street. I mean, that's fine, too. Hookers. Yeah, take their money and run. I mean, they get what they get. Better, better it's pixel people than real people, you know what I mean? But, no, that's exactly. that's totally valid. Um, that's, a, that's a big part of metal music, especially, like, if you go to live shows and, like, go to the mosh pits. Like, I love mm-hmm. mosh pits, because it's a huge, like, stress release but also it's like the adrenaline of getting into a fight with someone Mm -hmm. but nobody gets hurt right and right right. like D, it's hard to demonstrate that to someone outside but there's almost like an understood etiquette there you know with the mosh pit like dude we're just moshing no need to throw any punches or anything like that we're just gonna bump up against each other while we enjoy the same music at this concert so yeah i totally get that yeah, totally get that. someone falls down, like everybody backs off, helps them up. Yeah, uh, and then back same deal. Washing. Yeah. Um, I do want to put like a note of caution that like it's not always appropriate to bring all of your mental baggage, mental oh, and emotional baggage, into a D and D session. Like of there's course. there's times where that could be like too heavy and too inappropriate for that table at that time. There are so, other people I, again, involved. So. Right, exactly. You have to have respect yeah. for everyone there. Again, I'm not saying this is like a cure-all or anything. Um, there are ways to explore that in a way that creates a compelling story that is fun for everyone involved, even those yes. looking on. So I'm not just putting a carte blanche out there to just bring whatever you're struggling with into your game. No, please. We'll, it, ha- we'll, we'll have, it has we'll... to be... Yeah. It has to be in a context that is right. okay for everyone at the table. And we'll do a little I, I can't PSA give any hard here rules right about now. That. Let's it do is, a little PSA here right now. We definitely are mental health advocates. Uh, I myself mm. suffer. So, yes, there are outlets. There are ways to channel that stuff. But please, if you are really feeling that low, please, if you can, go seek help. There's hotlines. There's people that you can call. If you are lucky yes. enough to have good insurance through your job, you know, there's betterhealth.com there, you know, there's, if you don't feel comfortable going into an actual office, I mean, you can, you can talk to a therapist literally through the phone now. I mean, again, the wonders of technology. So please, like Aaron said, within context, go ahead, but you know, don't, uh, 
don't lay too much baggage on there either. Yeah, it's definitely there, not a cure-all. We're there, not saying there, it's a cure-all. There are rules of etiquette mm -hmm. in group therapy, so just remember that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I will say, I'm going to be very careful about how I say this, both with respect to your audience and also with YouTube's mm -hmm. guidelines. Um, there, as we're getting more aware of mental health issues and how to address it, my personal belief is that there is more contributing to mental illness than just mental illness itself, as far as like diagnosable criteria. Mm -hmm. um, there are, particularly with young men, um, there is a uptick in them eliminating themselves, which right. a lot of them would not fit diagnostic criteria for depression right right which means that like this is a bigger issue than just mental well-being mm -hmm. and my personal opinion is that it is a loss of community that yeah. many people are experiencing and Absolutely. a loss of this kind of like tightly knit social fabric and that's why um personally i believe tabletop gaming to be a revolutionary act yeah um in terms of, I guess, like politically with the kind of consumeristic, capitalistic culture that we're ensconced in, mm -hmm. um, there is something very pure about just people gathering around a table and whatever happens at the table happens and there's nobody anyone else can do to force copyright on that or try to claim it for themselves or charge it or nickel and dime it. And especially yeah. now that 5e rules are in the Creative Commons, um, all the much more that you you really don't need all that much to get started with D&D and you don't need mm -hmm. much to be able to just sit at the table and play. And there's something very anarchist about that that I really like. Yeah. Um, but also at the bare minimum, like even if you're not like working through stuff in regular play of the game, um, just the fact that you're gathering with other people on a regular basis and you are able to set aside whatever might otherwise try to divide you and just mm -hmm. create this shared narrative experience at the table. There's something really powerful about that. And it's one of the cornerstones to creating a community, I feel, um, in a very tangible sense of the word. Um, yeah. You might not get involved with the tabletop community as a whole in mm -hmm. a wider sense, but at least, you know, every Tuesday night you're there with your friends and you are turning off all other distractions and you are just spending time with each other. That's something that's so um, undervalued mm -hmm. in our society. I think today that, and having that there, I think is such a potent force for good. Um, that it's really hard to overstate how how valuable that is. And you see, you just mentioned, we pretty much have mentioned what's the good and the bad of technology. You know, the good thing is, about it mm -hmm. is that it has allowed us to be able to play this together when we do it every Friday in the Red Five Tavern. But then the whole reason why, in my personal opinion, society has been breaking down is because of technology. People are walking around with their head in their phone. They're not engaging anymore with people. Um, I am unfortunately have social anxiety, so I don't, even without cell phones, I still mm -hmm. don't want to engage with strangers, but that's just yeah. me. Mm -hmm. But, Whoa. but take the role playing 
aspect of D&D out of it, it's no different than sitting around with your family and your friends and fucking playing Monopoly, you know? I mean, there yeah. still is that community aspect. And that's why I was asking earlier, how different is it? Because I only know playing through the stream. I would love if we could get together somehow and and play D D in person you know because i think yeah. that would be so much more fun with the physical bodies actually there mm -hmm. well i'd like to ask you um how does your social anxiety um intersect with D D? Uh, does it limit it in some ways um in the beginning it, it did enhanced in others in the beginning it did um Again, I told you, like, my my character had been created for me. It was not Princess Sprinkles at all. So that actually mm -hmm. made it a little bit more nerve-wracking for me because I had to sit there and learn something that had already been created. So I didn't feel any emotional attachment to that character. And because I was new at it, I was more focused first on the actual rules and the gameplay itself than getting into the theatrics of it. So being on camera, learning how to play, trying to get into the theatrics of it while everyone else was dressed up was very nerve wracking. But then when I finally decided to completely make my own new character and I had lovely Kelly helping me learning the app and how to pick the different class and learning the spells and stuff like that, I was like, you know what? I was like, I want a puppet. I feel like this would help with my nervousness because I and not only that, the expense of, and I know I probably could find things around my house to dress up in, but this has actually helped a lot with my nerves. I don't feel as nervous anymore playing because I have, I have this, I'm not on screen most of the time, as you've noticed, it's always the hand puppet. Mm -hmm. And that's actually given me the opportunity to be a little bit more open. So now if I did decide to create another character that was female, instead of going to the Conan O'Brien inspired route then I might finally would want to go ahead and not go the puppet route and it would finally be me on camera. Mm. So I actually think it's helped. Believe it or not, I think D&D &D has actually helped me come a little bit more out of my shell. Because even this, what we're doing right now, can still be a little nerve-wracking for me. I don't, I don't I... believe that for a second. Why? <laughs> Why do you say that? This is all very false, people. Like, I, I think... I. People have this misconception like I'm, that I'm confident or whatever. I'm not. I'm literally dying on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> I am always nervous before going live for either Red 5 Tavern stream or just my own damn game well, that's at, not even being you streamed. You saw me in the green room. I was like, yeah. <sighs> right before going live. like <laughs> White knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he gets nervous too. Um, I mean, we all do. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, oh, I'm curious totally. with the... With the role-playing aspect of it, with the role-playing aspect of it, I've heard from some players that being able to slip into a character is a kind of safety for them, in that they're able to kind of put up this barrier between themselves and everything that's happening, and it can help with their social anxiety, in that they don't feel like it's themselves being mm -hmm. put on display and under... The microscope but it's a different character and there's kind of freedom in that is that something that you experience see for me what i was going to actually what i was going to say to that is when it comes to 
acting, because that's essentially what this is. Um, Role-playing is just a kind of acting. There is something about... I actually find it easier to act in front of people that I don't know than people that I do know. So believe it or not, doing this in front of you guys because you do know me, I actually find to be more nerve-wracking. Hmm. I don't do you know fear why. Fear the judgment more? Or? Yes, yes, because you're my peers, you're my closest friends. You know how I am sense. truly behind closed doors. Now you're seeing me put on this metaphorical mask playing this other person, and I find it to be a little hard to slip into that role. If I was on a set with people that I don't normally engage in, that opens the door for me to be whoever I want because you don't know me. So for me, that makes it actually yeah. a lot easier. But because you all know me, it's like, oh, now I'm going to do this and they're going to think I'm such a fucking dork. <laughs> That's my thought process. Hey, birthday boy. Oh, the terrifying ordeal of being known. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know Kelly. Uh, hashtag first world problems. I know Tia. Yeah. I know DB. And it's like, now I'm acting like this total idiot. And I know they're not going to judge me. They're my friend. I know they're not. Not in that way that I'm that I'm thinking. Yeah, they'll probably make fun of me. But that comes from my perfectionism also. You know, I just, that's mm. why I was so like hardcore about what are the fucking rules of this game? What are the fucking rules? Because I don't want to look yeah. stupid. I don't want to look imperfect. What are the goddamn rules? That's why Tina and I are always like, are we doing this right? We don't want to seem stupid. We also don't want to, we don't want to do a timeout on the game. Like we, I, I'm sorry to speak for you, Tina, I, but I don't, I don't want to ask questions while we're in the middle of the game and streaming. Mm. That's the other thing. It's the streaming thing too. You know, like yeah. I, don't, I don't want to break the illusion because people are watching us. Right. Um, I, I, I can absolutely relate as far as like, being afraid to put yourself out there with people mm -hmm. that you know. Mm -hmm. um, like, my parents don't know that I play D&D. Um, they know I play the Star Wars game, and I've described it in very um, agnostic language that it, it is basically would be the same thing as if I would describe D&D, &D, but because it doesn't have that cultural label on it, they're like, oh yeah, that's kind of weird, but fine. Um, but if they knew there was D and D that I was talking about, they would throw a bitch fit. Um, yeah. So I just, I just don't, and it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, I have to not show that part of myself to them. But you know, that's I'm, I don't want to have that kind of conflict with them. Yeah. And I don't I think that. it's worth it. Um. So, uh, yeah, I can relate to it being it, whereas normally, like, I'm on a stream right now with i don't know your audience but we're talking about D D and the fact that i'm kinky and all that and <laughs> who, who the fuck cares because i'm not going to meet any of them or like you know so yeah, i can totally exactly. relate it's, it's um yeah as far as like that fear of like perfectionism mm -hmm. um i absolutely relate to that too yeah like, never go i don't want i i don't want to be a fuck up and like yeah that's that's on my mind whenever i'm running the game but also like Yesterday, I fucked up Told the Dead, which is like one of the most common um, spells out there. Mm -hmm. And I just completely 
mind farted on how that worked and asked it for an happens. attack roll when it should have been a saving throw. And yeah. so, yeah, get, give yourself some grace. Um, if you need to ask questions, I'm more than happy to receive those. Yeah. And it might feel like you're interrupting the flow of the stream. And that's an unfortunate side effect of streaming the game as opposed to it being like non non streamed that mm -hmm. there's this additional layer of like, Oh, we're performing for an audience. Right. Um, right. But I would say that asking you're you're trying to give an authentic experience of playing D and D, playing mm -hmm. tabletop games, and part of that is how the fuck do these rules work? Which one's the D eight? Um, and you know, asking questions and learning that is just part of the process. So I don't think you'd be distracting or detracting from the game at all if you have questions that need answering. Would yeah. you say you learn more from actual gameplay? or from you know research into the material for me i can uh, tell you right now both, i yeah. i i've learned more from actually playing than sitting there and just reading or watching a bunch of youtube videos honestly i tried and i just i couldn't for me it's it's been the actual gameplay and asking as as we kind of go along i don't know how it's been for you aaron but that's been my experience so far um it's <laughs> It's kind of a meme that a bunch of D&D &D DMs just don't read the rules. <laughs> and um, it, this is mostly an online thing, but there are a lot of questions about like how things work. And it's like, if you just read the rules, you would know. Yeah. Um, but and I'm also the type of person that I when I get when I buy a new gadget, I read the manual like yeah. front to back, top to bottom, because like that's just how I process information. And I learn a lot that way. But it is the actually using it that that knowledge is then applied and I it can finally click for me like, oh, that's how it all works. And I think the same is true for D&D, &D, um, which is why it's valuable to be able to stream this kind of stuff, because you could take these rules that are in the abstract and be able to see how it actually applies. And that actually relates to how the D&D &D rules are written. Even mm -hmm. fifth edition, they're still written in a way that kind of assumes that someone else can guide you through it or right. can run the game for you or teach you how to do it. It's not really structured in a way where you could just pick up the book, read it and know how to run the game. Uh, so they're, they're doing like a re a rewrite of the rules um, that's supposed to be out in like 2024, which okay. is supposed to fix that. I don't know if they will do it. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of, D and D stuff where they kind of hold on to stuff from the past for no other reason than it's always been there, um, which I don't want to get into. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's all that to say it is. Even if you had perfect understanding of the rules by just reading it, mm -hmm. it's kind of impossible to hold them all into your head while you're running the game. Um, so running the game is how you see those rules applied and that's where you get into weird edge cases where you have to ask like how things work. Right. And I always try to question my assumptions of how things work. Um, and cause I learn new stuff all the time and that's how you learn. So feel free to ask questions. Great. Well, thank you, Aaron. And uh, I cannot believe we've been going on this long and this is crazy. Was oh, that no, this, no, this is, is this, great. No, no, is this no, like no, really no, long no. for your show. No, 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 because our last, our okay. 80s one was ran two hours as well. Um, but okay. no, I think, I hope this has been extremely. I feel, I feel kind of bad. I feel like I've no, dominated no, the no, whole no. thing. Don't. But... No, no. no. I, we wanted all, to know about D&D, &D, so. 
again, you're want to be a good boy, not a dumb. You're popping our culture tonight. You know, I mean, we're oh, not baby. always going to know every every subject matter that we discuss, which is why we like to have our guests on. So there are some things that we're going to know, and then there's some things that we want to learn from our guests. And and for for someone like me and Josh, that you know, we're very new to to D and D. I think you've provided everyone with a really great education tonight, you know, and I, and I hope that Absolutely. people will come and watch, you know, us play in the red five tavern on the red five tavern channel. It's, it's a lot of fun. We've been having a blast. And again, you and Charles have been wonderful DMS. I, I admire the creativity. I'm kind of like you, I'm more of a sub. Like I don't think I could ever see myself as a DM. So I, I would rather just play the game, but um, Aaron, thank you, thank you so much. Um, now you thank are you. not just a DM; um, you're part of WSTR <laughs> Media. So yes. why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and if you got anything in the pipeline right now? Um, but before I do that, uh, mm -hmm. can I take like two minutes? I want to yeah. uh, leave. If anyone's listening to this and they want to give D and D a try, I'd like to give like a final kind of word of advice for how to get started. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, probably the easiest kind of like all in the box kind of way to get started is, uh, Wizards of the Coast publishes a D and D essentials kit. Um, it's called either essentials kit or starter kit. Sorry. I wish I had this ready to go, but, um, it's kind of like a box set. You can get it at like target or whatever. And it has kind of like a starter, uh, adventure for you to run. It has pre-made characters. It has okay. miniatures. It has dice. Is everything that you need to get started. Um, so I would say find like three or four friends that you want to mm -hmm. play with and just go for it. Um, there, again, going back to the perfectionism thing, there might be a lot of fear to getting started, especially right. if like you're being the DM and you don't know what you're doing. Um, I would just say to quote Adventure Time, sucking at something is the first step to being really good at something. Um, my first time as a DM, I absolutely sucked, but uh, I still, that's the thing about D&D. You can still really suck and still have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. So um, sucking is how you learn. So don't be afraid to go for it. Um, there's a lot. And, and as far as you saying, like, you couldn't imagine yourself being a DM. I couldn't imagine myself being a DM either at first, but um, it, it takes a, a bit more work than being a player mm -hmm. and it takes a little bit of know-how to know how to get started but really i think it's more accessible to more people than you would think i would say give it a try even if you end up not liking it it can give you a kind of a perspective as a player that you want to get otherwise mm -hmm. um if you want to get started as a dm there's some good advice in the essentials kit or starter kit and uh look up matt colville on youtube uh, probably 80% of everything that I've learned about being a DM has been from that guy. Um, okay. He has a running the game series where it's like in like 20 minutes of video, he takes you from like, I want to run D&D &D tonight to let's actually run D&D &D right now. Um, and final bit of advice is that the hardest part about D&D &D is not actually D&D &D itself. It's scheduling. Yeah. Um, be able to yeah. find a yeah. time and place. Together, yeah. Right. Yeah. Never knows it's a little such bit an about extended that. period. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, By the way, you, you, made a, you made a past big that mistake hurdle. saying sucking. 
Keep sucking until you're learned. Keep, keep <laughs> sucking until you're good. Just keep sucking it down. Just keep on sucking. That is the quote of the stream, people. Suck your heart out. Yep. <laughs> you hear that, ladies? Keep Suck it up. Until you learn. Jeez. So, yeah. Um, so leave that for if you want to get started. And we'll um, let you practice. Yeah, you, you can... You can watch the Red Five Tavern if you'd like yes. to see an example Please. of D and D actually being played and like what's possible. Uh, there's the also stupidity. other uh, there's also other campaigns being streamed like Dimension Twenty or Critical Role. Um, although it's kind of like watching porn, where it's like oh. it's very much like a glamorized like view of what D and D can be like and not like what it actually is. Because Critical Role, they're all like voice actors. They're all like a, they're like a multi-million dollar production studio. Um, it, it's very much like D and D as like a show, not right, like right, right, right. Yeah. Actual D and D I would say. So, nice. um, so there's that, uh, I've been Aaron Julian, uh, as a, as a guest on the show, I am one of the hosts for WSTR galactic public access. It is a star Wars podcast. We've been going for over six years at this point. Um, good for you. The time this episode is dropping, mm-hmm. we're about to drop a uh, 10-year retrospective on Man of Steel, where we oh, talk about Superman nice. and oh, Man of Steel you. and all that. So if you're a comic books fan, you're going to want to watch that. And yes, it's a Star Wars podcast, but we go across the universe, as we call it, every now and then. Um, so there's that. Uh, you can find us at WSTR Media pretty much anywhere. Um, that's that. So thank you for having me on as oh, no. uh, a guest. Yeah. Thank, and you. thank you for letting me pop your culture. This was we wonderful. We really do. I, we I'm, hope it I'm was as good it. for you as it was for us. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, I have to I get a cigarette, cigarette after, after this. this. <laughs> 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 <God Smoke. damn. laughs> Jinxies. Ooh. Oh my God. Well, thank you again. Thank you to everyone in the chat. Um, just a reminder once again, um, we will be dropping the uh audio of this live stream on Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm looking into expanding into uh Spotify since you know people like to use Spotify as well to listen to their podcasts. So again, if there was something that you needed the visual for, head over to our channel on YouTube at Pop My Culture and uh Go ahead and gawk at us. Um, We're all about the visuals here, people. Um, there, we do like to cross promote. So again, check out Red Five Tavern. I believe Salacious Rum is doing his Lego stream, which normally um, Josh and I are on, but Josh has been working like a dog. I will not actually be on tomorrow because tomorrow's Father's Day, so I will be spending the day with my dad. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Also. I believe our next stream, if I have the dates correct, our next stream is our one year anniversary. So even though we started as Scarif After Dark, still we started this uh, shenanigan fest uh, on July 2nd last year. So our next stream will be July 1st. Uh, We are going to make it an open stream. So anyone who wants to come on the show, maybe talk about their favorite moments or you know what your experiences what was like being a guest uh, open mic open shirt whatever whatever open whatever bands. man you know open it's bottle open. open container no shirt no shoes want. still get service nope. <laughs> so, we, we will serve you all 
So we got going, and uh, I want to give a shout out to Steve of Rebel Rock Radio, because um, since we were mentioning Big Bang Theory, please go check out that episode. Josh and I were both on talking about that, and I will be on this Thursday, because we're going to be talking about Office Space, which I absolutely love that movie. Nice. So check all of that out. We got a lot of good stuff out there. So guys, hit that like button, subscribe comment once this is over aaron once again thank you so much i hope everyone enjoys the rest of their weekend love you guys yes, thank you so much thank stay you. sticky stay sticky oh that's another thing <laughs> yeah we will be dropping a review of the flash movie oi they... yeah. <laughs> oh no we'll, we'll look get out to for that. that one we'll be we'll be having joker voice on for that that will not be a live stream stream. that will not be a live stream that'll be a live premiere so we're recording tomorrow dropping it on monday at 8 30 after sidebar cantina wraps up so look out for that all right guys have a great speaking of sucking yeah (laughs) (laughs) good night everyone good night good night